All right. God bless you guys. So glad you're here and uh, have been praying that this would be helpful and meaningful. The best hikes, the best hikes in, in this area are the American River Canyon. The best hikes, like in the 45-minute area around here, the American River Canyon, they're gorgeous. Um, and I grew up around here and uh, surprisingly didn't take advantage of that as, as much as I have since returning. Uh, there are dozens of beautiful hikes with these amazing views of the river. However, uh, these hikes are not easy because by definition, you're hiking in a canyon, right? So essentially, you're going down the canyon to the river or you're going up out of the canyon um, back to where you're, you're parked or whatever. And, so, but, and the thing is, you're actually not going straight down. Uh, occasionally, that will happen. But you're not going straight down or straight up. What, what they've done is they've carved a trail in the side of the canyon in, in, a, in what are called switchbacks. You familiar with these? Switchbacks, right? And so switchbacks are interesting because half of the time that you're hiking, you're, you're going in exactly the wrong direction. Like half of the time, you're, you're headed away from where you think you're going to go. You might be going like in this way, and then you catch a glimpse of the river maybe even. And then as soon as you get to see, oh, we're going to go down there, then the trail takes you back this way, and you're heading exactly away from where you, where you want to go. And sometimes even you go back into like the dark underneath the oak trees and into the pine trees and behind big rock or whatever. It can feel like you're going the wrong way. Um, it can feel like you're not making any real progress the whole time. And the reason it's confusing is precisely because it is not a straight line. And we love straight lines. We think in terms of straight lines. We're told that the shortest direction between any, or the shortest uh, way between any two points is a straight line. Um, but it's not a straight line. It's not a hundred-yard dash where you can literally see the finish line before you even start. And it's straight ahead, and your lane is marked for you, and it's really, really simple, right? Um, straight lines are simple, but the problem is rare, uh, real life is rarely a straight line. Real life is rarely a straight line. Be careful about um, embracing metaphors that are too simple, for real life. Um, sometimes we think of life as a straight line. We think of movement as either progress or regress. Those are the only two options. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. Sometimes in life it feels like you're back where you were a few years ago. Anybody feel like that ever? Oh my gosh, I'm, I was here four years ago. I'm back where I was. We have this, we, and, and then we say things or we think things like that. Wait, wait, wait. I'm dealing with this fear again? And we say this, I thought I was over that. We say stuff like that. Or, hold on, we're, we're arguing about this issue again? We've been married 23 years, right? I thought we moved past this. Or we say, oh man, you're struggling with that same issue again? That same temptation again? That same sin again? That same addiction? I thought we'd made more progress than that. We say things like this, but what if real life is not a straight line? What if it's not as simple as you're either going forward or back? What if in real life, growth looks more like switchbacks in the canyon than like a hundred yard dash on an all-weather track? Uh, what if the answer to the question, oh man, I'm dealing with this fear again, the same fear again, what if it isn't as one-dimensional as a straight line? 
What if it's true that you're feeling the same fear, the fear you felt before, the fear you've moved through before, and what if it is also true at the same time that you're, you're actually in a different place? It's the same fear, but the last time you experienced this fear, you were not the same and you were not in the same place. You're at a different point in the journey now. <clears throat> it's, like, it's like you're coming to the end of one of those switchbacks and yeah, you're, you're seeing a familiar scene. You've experienced this before. It's like the same old fear. And yet, you're not in the same place as you, it might feel like the same place you were the last time, but it's actually because it's a similar turning point, but you're actually 100 feet farther, you're 100 feet above where you were last time. It's the same feeling, but you're in a different place. So you're looking over the same river, perhaps, but you actually have a slightly different vantage point of it now, don't you? Uh, because you, you, you are in a different place. So maybe you haven't regressed. Maybe you, um, maybe you did get over one challenge. Maybe you have, in a sense, moved forward, and you're just facing a similar fear or a similar issue or a similar temptation or a similar debate that you've experienced before, but you've changed, and the journey has changed, and so you're actually in a different place. And so contrary to what you're feeling, oh my gosh, it's the same thing, I'm in the same place as I was a long time ago. No, actually, you're in a new place. You're in a new place. You have not been here before. It's familiar in some ways, but this is a new place. If we think of life in oversimplified ways like straight lines, it doesn't help. It actually hinders real spiritual growth. So I'm trying to argue that it's better to think of life in ways that allow for more complexity, like switchbacks in the canyon, which allow for us to face some of the same fears, to come up against some of the same temptations, to deal with some of the same relational issues in our closest relationships over and over and time and time again as we grow and as we develop and part of our journey of growth. This is not once and done in real life. This is, I continue to address these things. The issues in our marriage will continue to be the issues in our marriage, but these are not uh, signs that we are stuck. In fact, these might be the very signs that say you're growing, you are changing, you're continuing to come back to these. See, I'm even saying it. You're addressing again similar issues that you have in the past, but uh, you're not addressing them in the same ways because you're different. So, for instance... I was challenged to trust God in high school. I was challenged also to trust God as a young parent. And, and today I'm challenged to trust God as a father of a daughter who's about to change and go into her life, right? A new season of life. It's the same challenge. Um, but I'm facing it at different places in my journey with way more complex realities each time. So even though you might say, man, Nate's always dealing with trusting God. He just can't seem to get over that. I would say, actually, my life's getting much more complex. And so trusting God at 46 feels different than trusting God at 16. Right? You see where I'm going? This is the way real-life spiritual growth works. This is the way real-life spiritual growth works. So we've been talking about how some parts of the spiritual life are so basic, they're so elemental, they're so foundational, they're so core that we never outgrow them. They're so basic. And we've compared this to pro baseball players who continue to practice fielding ground balls at a professional level, just like they did when they were kids. We've compared it to 70-year-olds tying their shoes just like they did when they were seven 
We've compared it to professional musicians who still, who still practice their scales, still warm up with certain finger exercises, even though they're paid a ton of money to play music, just like they did when they were learning. And we've noticed how we never outgrow the basics, but our experience with the basics, it matures, right? That's what I've really focused on the last three weeks. We never outgrow the basics, but our experience with the basics, it matures, it becomes more graceful. In some senses, it becomes easier. It certainly becomes more beautiful and elegant. Now, another piece of this never outgrowing the basics dynamic I want to point out today is this. It's that never outgrowing the basics enables us to survive and even continue to grow in a life which becomes increasingly complex. Okay? Slightly different take on the same theme. Never outgrowing the basics, never making the mistake of being like, yeah, I'm done with that, I don't need that anymore. Never outgrowing the basics, but carrying the basics with us, continuing to practice the basics enables us to survive and even continue to grow in a life that becomes increasingly complicated. Even as we uh, get older, even as things change all around us, even as life becomes more complex, the basics will serve us continually. Uh, some things, yes, you outgrow them, but you never outgrow the basics. In other words, real life is more like switchbacks than straight lines, and switchbacks are more complicated than straight lines, but the way you handle switchbacks is the same way you handle straight lines, and it's you put one step in front of the other, right? One step in front of the other. That's the basic, and you never outgrow it. Are you still with me? Okay, that was the introduction. Okay, good. <clears throat> this morning, uh, I want to take this idea, this concept, and I want to apply it to one of the most basic and important parts of your spiritual life which is your resources. I heard an interview uh, with a wealth management counselor this week who said, I can, tell, I can learn more about a person in 45 minutes talking about their money than their therapists know about them after spending two years talking about them. And, and he based that assertion on the idea that when you talk about your money, when you talk about your resources, it reveals the truth about who you are, your fears, your concerns, your hopes, your values, and all of those things. Or put another way, one of the most important parts of your spiritual life is your stuff. One of the most important parts of your spiritual life is your resources. Here's what I mean by resources. Your time and your money and your gifts or your abilities, your skill set. Sometimes people talk about preachers. I think it's just preachers. They talk about it as your time and your treasure and your talent. Do you know why they do that? Because it's easier to remember, right? That's right. <laughs> preachers need the same letters. Uh, right. <clears throat> but essentially, this is what we mean by that. Your time and your money, our time, our money, our skills and abilities. So two ideas to start um, very closely related here. Through, one idea is this. Throughout our relationship, throughout our life, Throughout our life, our relationship with resources constantly is changing. 
right? The nature of your resources changes. You may have more or less money now than you did before. You may have more or less flexibility with your time now than you did maybe five, ten years ago. The way we use our resources change. You manage your money differently than you did at another time. Maybe it feels like you have uh, more time now than you did before because you're managing your time differently. Maybe you feel like you are strapped financially, um, but your paycheck's bigger than it's ever been. That might be a, a, the way you're using your money kind of an issue. Or when we come to skills, your skills may develop. You may get better at things. Your skills may become obsolete. They may not need X anymore because X industry is gone. It's Amazon now or whatever. Um, so skills change. Relationships with our resources constantly changes. The way you relate to your money and your time and your, resource, or your gifts and your abilities Today is probably different than it was two years ago, five years ago, maybe 20 years ago. That's the first idea. Second idea is this. But we never outgrow the basic reality about our resources. About, we never outgrow this basic reality about our time and our treasure and our talent. The reality is this. It's all God's. It's all God's. You never outgrow that. And this is what we mean when we say it's all God's. When we think of our time and our treasure and our talent ultimately belonging to God, we mean that, as Daryl mentioned a little bit earlier, God created it, God's, uh, God defined its purpose, God's dis uh, distributed it, right? determined to whom certain gifts and abilities would be given. Uh, most of the time, we're probably not thinking about those things when we think about our resources. We're probably not thinking, well, God made this and defined this and gave this to me. Most of the time, we're probably thinking, actually, I earned that. <laughs> Thank you very much, right? That's what we think of most of the time when we think about our stuff. We think about our resources. I built that. I birthed that, right? I invested in that. I worked hard for that. I sacrificed for that. I went to school for that. I learned those things. I've sacrificed for that. I dedicated the last 40 years of my life building this. I created this. I defined this. I have worked hard to preserve this, which makes sense from a certain point of view. Clearly, from a certain point of view, it looks like that's true. It looks like what you have is largely a result of your effort and skill. But the assertion that all of that, um, that all that is, is ultimately God's, it comes from a place, friends, of recognizing that even the strength that was required for you to build that and make that and, and do that came from God. It, it comes from the perspective that even though all that you've earned and all that you've built, yes, to a certain degree, of course, you have done that. But even your ability and your strength to do that came from God. The breath that was required for you to breathe while you went to work was a gift from God. It's all God. So on an elemental level, God created it, God owns it, God distributed it, we steward it, Okay, we manage it. But it's, it's all God's. And, and this is perhaps the most basic reality that's communicated um, in the very first page of the Bible. It kind of sets the tone like right out of the gate in Genesis chapter 1. God creates everything. God speaks all things into existence. And then God and the like culminating act of creation creates humanity and then assigns humanity to care for, to order, and to steward all that God has created. So it's all God's. We're just stewards of it. We're just managers of it. 
All right, <clears throat> here's the problem. And it's always been the problem when it comes to our stuff and how it affects our spirituality. The problem is we forget that it's God's. That's the problem. We forget that it's God's, or maybe we don't actually believe that it's God's. Now, why is that a problem? <laughs> it's a problem from a biblical perspective because forgetting and disbelieving lead to most of the calamity we read about in Scripture. Most of the bad stuff that happens to the people of God in the Bible happens because they have forgotten and no longer believe <clears throat> certain things are true. You can read about this almost every page of the Bible. Let me give you just one example. Uh, this is now we're finally to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, so Moses is, is, they've been in the wilderness. The people of Israel have been in the wilderness for like 40 years and are about to take this promised land, this much-anticipated new place um, where everything's going to be great and there's all kinds of natural resources and there's going to be all sorts of surplus of food. And there, Moses says, bread will no longer be scarce and you will lack nothing. So it's a really beautiful picture of this promised land. But then Moses gives them a warning. And so we'll just give one example here. We'll just look at a warning about this concept of forgetting or disbelieving. There's all kinds of examples of currently forgetting and disbelieving and then after the fact. Here's what Moses says. Deuteronomy 8. Um, I'll start reading with verse, chapter, or verse 10. Moses says, when, you, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. <clears throat> In other words, he's like, so when you get there and like the wars are done and you settle down and you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may, listen to this, verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and that is a sign of his covenant, which is, you'll be my people. I'm going to take, I'm going to enable you and supply for you to, to have what you need because you're my people. A couple more. Verse 19. <clears throat> if you ever forget that the Lord your God, um, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Okay, so there's one example. There's Hundreds, but there's one example of the idea that forgetting or disbelief is a problem 
because of this reason of calamity that it leads to. Today, in our culture, from our perspective, when we say things like, oh, I forgot, or gosh, she just doesn't really believe that, you know, it sounds pretty harmless, doesn't it? It sounds pretty harmless. Oh, she just doesn't believe that. Or, ah, man, I I forgot about that. But from a biblical perspective, forgetting and disbelieving is seen as harmful. It's seen as harmful. It's more dangerous than we want to realize. And here's why. This isn't about, like, anger, and it's not about judgment uh, from sort of this fire and brimstone sort of perspective. It doesn't mean God's mean. It's about how crucial it is to recognize the source. That's what it's about. That's why remembering and believing is... It's so crucial to remember the source. If you don't understand where something comes from, if you get it wrong when it comes to origin, when it comes to the beginning, if you don't recognize the source, if you're wrong about that, you get everything else wrong. You get everything else wrong. Right? If you're confused about the source, you're going to be confused about everything else related to what has come from that source. tell you a story. My first job after graduating from college was to do research for a book project on the history of world missions. There was an organization who wanted to produce this book, and so they hired an author that was well-known in their target audience, and they hired a research assistant, and that research assistant was me. And the short version of the story is it did not go well. It didn't go well. Uh, After a full year of work, I had conducted Dozens of interviews, transcribed them. I had written more than 10 significant research papers and sent them to the author. These are like all this factual and historic information so that he could sort of back the story that he was writing. And, and, uh, but nothing was being produced. Nothing was being written by the author. And the organization was really frustrated by the lack of progress. But because the author was so hard to reach, they reached out to his research assistant, who was me. Um, And I was as confused and frustrated as they were. We were in different states. I couldn't reach him either. The whole year had come and gone, and there was even some question about whether the funding for the project was going to continue, because it appeared that nothing was getting done. And and actually, uh, from from, from his, he hadn't met any of the deadlines. Nothing was getting done. And then one day, this uh, acquaintance of mine invites me to lunch, and um, I'm in my young 20s, he's in his middle 50s, but we had several common friends, so I didn't really think much of it. I thought he just wanted to get to know me better, we're going to have lunch. And so we sit down, he says, so tell me what you do. And I said, well, I'm doing research on this book project. And he's like, oh, how's it going? And I give him some general sort of vague positive, I'm really enjoying what I'm learning, I love, you know, studying it. But he keeps asking me questions. And his questions are getting more specific. And his questions are like becoming really well-informed questions. Like, how in the world could he possibly know that kind of questions? And I start feeling like he's trying to get information out of me about this book project, and I get nervous. And so I just sort of start shutting down, uh, and I start, he asks me questions, and I say, I can't say anything about that. Because I'm thinking about all this weird publishing competition stuff that's happening. I'm going, oh no! And, and, and then he asks me more questions, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not able to comment on that. I mean, we'd, one time we babysat his kids. I felt like he was a friend of mine, but now I'm feeling like kind of worried about it. And he asked me another question. I'm, I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm just not sure about that. And then his eyes get really intense, and he looks right at me. And he's like, has this guy, and he names the author, has this guy met any of his deadlines? Has he turned in anything to the organization? 
And I say, I'm not comfortable saying anything about that. And he says, you better say something about that because I'm paying for the whole project. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, right. So uh, that changes things, doesn't it? Um, and I remember walking away from this meeting thinking, oh my gosh, he's been supporting me all year. And I didn't even know it was him. I, I babysat his kids in his house. And I didn't even know the guy's, the guy's back in my paycheck the first year of my marriage. I mean, this is kind of a critical arrangement. And I don't even know that the guy, who the guy is. It's so important to recognize the source, is it not? If you don't know where it comes from, if you forget who's providing all of this, you're confused about the source. You're confused about everything. <laughs> you're going to look silly. Because you're confused about the whole thing. It's so important to remember the source. All right. Now, basic biblical theology of resources. Real simple. Says two things. Biblical theology of resources. One, everything you have, all of your resources, they ultimately come from God. And two, you would do well to recognize that. Basic theology of resources. They all come from God. And two, you would do well to, reckon, to recognize that. Now, this raises all kinds of questions and issues. Let me just focus on two questions here as we move towards responding or applying this, all right? First question, how will you remember that? What will you do? What will it take for you to remember what the people of God have consistently forgotten. How will you remember that all you have comes from God? What will you do in order to not forget, for instance, that every animal in the forest is mine, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, the world is mine, and all that is in it, according to Psalm 50. How will you remember that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. That's Jesus' brother James who says that. What will it take for us to remain really clear that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it? That's King David in Psalm 24. How will you remember the source? How will you not forget that all you have is a gift from God? How will I remember this? Or to put another way, what we're really talking about is how will you worship God with your stuff? How will you acknowledge that he is the king? How will you bring the practical, the profane, the everyday, the stuff into a real um, spiritual experience that makes a difference. And that's really what we want, isn't it? Is the spirituality that makes a difference in real life? We want to know how our spirituality affects our resources, and we want our resources to have spiritual importance. Ultimately, that's what we want. Gosh, we just tie ourselves in knots about this, I think. And it's almost startling how simple it actually is. If you're using the notes page, turn back to the front page where we identified resources as time, money, and gifts, or time, money, and abilities. And let me just comment on each of those really quickly. We make this more complicated than it needs to be, I think. But it took me a long time to figure that out. Regarding the resource of time, can anyone think of a practice 
that God establishes that invites us to worship him through our use of time. It's established in creation. It's enshrined in the Ten Commandments. It's repeated all throughout the Bible. Can anyone think of it? Yeah, it's a Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Yeah. If the question is, how will you remember that everything you have, including your time, is a gift from God, one answer could be, I'll keep the Sabbath. I will keep a day uh, every week where I will take my hand off the plow, so to speak. I will acknowledge the holiness of all the time that I've been given by setting aside one day a week to specifically remind myself of what I always forget, which is that time is a gift from God. I'm going to forget that because I'm so driven and I have more stuff to do than time to do it. I will forget that essential truth unless I do something in order to remember it. What should I do? God establishes it for us. It's called the Sabbath. Let's look at the resource of money. Can anyone think of a practice clearly established in Scripture, which invites us to worship God with our money. A practice that is designed to acknowledge in real life that all that we have is given by God, belongs to God. It's tithing, right? It's tithing. If the question is, how will I remember that all of my income, all of my like hard-earned resources They're all from God. How will I keep from forgetting that essential truth? Well, God's got a great idea. It's called the tithe, right? You you acknowledge that everything is God's by returning a tenth of what you've been given to your community, your church, your place of worship. This is for you, Jesus says. This is for me, right? So that I can remember the bigger truth that historically the people of God have forgotten so often and it's led to all kinds of chaos. By the way, I signed like 200 contribution statements on Monday and you should have gotten them in the mail. And I typically don't like that day of the year. Um, It was so encouraging this year. It was so encouraging. There's over 100 families, over 100 of you who are giving like clockwork. I don't care how much. It's the fact that you're giving regularly that demonstrates there's real growth happening here in terms of connecting our spirituality with our practical day-to-day rubber-hits-the-road realities like our income. Super encouraging. And I'm I'm grateful um, for that and grateful for the way that people are growing here. And then finally, or thirdly, the the resource of our skills or our abilities. This may be a little more subtle, but it's no less simple. The way we recognize that all that we have, even our skills, our abilities, are from God is to use those skills and abilities to serve others. It's service. It's service. Um, To help others with our unique gifting to help others with the, the, the skills that we've developed over 40 years of professional experience, to help others with the education or the skills and the abilities we have because of the education or just because of the natural giftings that we've, that we've been given. So how will we remember that everything we have comes from God, which is apparently a really challenging thing to do if you read the Bible? Well, Sabbath addresses our resource of time. 
Tithing addresses our resource of money. And serving people addresses our resource of gifts and abilities. It's right there. It's pretty brilliant. Yeah. All right, so I told you I had two questions. The first question was a how question. How will we remember? Second question, really briefly, is, and it takes us back to the beginning. Why is it important that we remember this? Why is it important that we remember that everything comes from God? Is it just to avoid calamity? Is, is that our only motive? Is it just so that we don't get punished by God, that God finds it fit to not like smite us or send us to Babylon so that we lose everything that we have? We don't get carried off? Those kind of good reasons, actually, if you stop and think about it. Um, but there are other good reasons as well. Um, we never outgrow the basic reality that all is God's, and that's good news. In fact, the fact that it's all God's, as Daryl mentioned in the call to worship, that is really good news. Um, and I'll give you two reasons for that quickly. First, remembering that it's all God's brings deep peace. It does. It brings deep peace. If the business is God's, at the end of the day, if the house is God's, at the end of the day, right? If, the, if that investment of energy and time and money is God's, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean you don't work hard. It means you don't worry. That's what it means, okay? So don't embrace this overly simplistic, well, it's God's, I'm gonna take, I don't have to worry, or I don't have to do anything. Yeah, you have to do stuff all the time. You're working your butt off but you don't have to worry about it because at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. So you can lay your head down and you can rest. You can. Deep peace. Second, second way that remembering that all you have has been given by God, second reason that's good news is that you're not the owner, you're just the steward, is that that brings great value to everything that you have. Everything that you steward, in other words, matters. It was given to you for a purpose, all your resources matter. You've been given these things and entrusted with these things for a reason. It's God who distributes. He gave you this for a reason. So why should you recognize that all your resources, your time, your money, your gifts and abilities are God's? Because recognizing this truth brings peace and purpose. That's why. Yes, it also avoids calamity, but it brings peace and purpose really practical stuff of life, in the midst of that, it brings peace and purpose like nothing else. Friends, this truth that all you have is God's, this is the kind of truth that you experience at different points and in different ways throughout your life. You experience it one way when you're six and another way when you're 60. You experience it one way when you have plenty. You experience it another way when you feel like, I barely have enough. It's like switchbacks. And you're looking at the same thing, but the view is changing because you're moving to a new place in life. And if you continue to struggle with this basic truth, it doesn't mean, the basic truth that it's all God's, it doesn't mean you're regressing. It probably means that God wants you to experience this basic truth, that it all belongs to him at a deeper and more profound level, in a more life-giving way. Friends, you'll never outgrow the basics. And this basic, that it's all God's, this can really set you free. This can really set you free. Let's pray. It's grace that we need, Lord. It's your mercy 
to remember what most have forgotten and to remember it every day so that everything else is in right order. We can work super hard and build and create and invest with the right perspective. I pray for, I pray for that grace. Grace to know what is yours and um, what we're called to do as stewards or managers of that. May we live with wide open hands like we're worshiping, even with our stuff, even with our resources. May it all be yours for your glory and for the restoration of us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.